Well, if you have a Bible with you or on your phone or tablet or something handy, I'll invite with you to open up to James chapter 5 with me. We are continuing to, to walk through this book of James. And remember, James was the, the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, he was a guy who eventually believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And he ended up being one of the first Christian martyrs. We pointed out just who this, this James is that we're talking about that wrote this letter, wrote this book many times because we need to remind ourselves of this. And we've talked throughout the series that, that James, uh, this wasn't someone who believed that Jesus was the Son of God while Jesus was alive. We've said and pointed to evidence in the Gospels where, where uh, the Gospel writers say that, that James and his siblings and his parents or his mom tried to even uh, remove Jesus from some of the teaching opportunities he had because they thought Jesus was crazy. And so the question we keep asking through this series is, how do you convince your half-brother that once thought you were crazy uh, to convince him that you are in fact God in the flesh to the point that that half-brother would give his own life up for you? And the maybe simple, maybe not so simple answer is this. Resurrect from the dead. It's all about the resurrection. That's what convinced James. That's what, what turned James to, to believe in his half-brother as the son of God and, and give his life to this. And so because that convinced James, we are going to continue to pay attention to James's words. This morning we're going to be kind of in the middle of James chapter 5, so we'll be in 5 verses 7 through 12, and we're in the last chapter and the last few weeks of our study here in James. Just before we get to the text, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but in our day, these days, it seems that so much, if not all, of the creative uh, energy and creativity and innovation that we as humans possess is so often laser-focused at one thing, and that thing is eliminating any need for patience in our lives. Has anyone else noticed that? I got a couple nods in the room here. That's good. One of our, our greatest goals in life so often seems to be to, to make sure that we don't have to wait for anything ever. Think about some of the more recent innovations in the last even couple of generations. The microwave. How much faster can we eat because of a microwave? Uh, fast food restaurants, and even not just a fast food restaurant, but double lines in the drive through so we don't even have to wait as long for our fast food and not even get out of our cars. Think about, this is one I haven't taken advantage of myself yet, but tankless water heal, heaters. I mean, hot water on demand, you don't have to wait, there's hot water, the turn of a tap. We've got the internet. Information and information on everything with just a few clicks. We've got TV and movies on demand now. You don't have to wait until Saturday evening for the wild world of Walt Disney or whatever show you're trying to watch. Uh, sermons on demand on YouTube, on Facebook, all these things. We don't have to wait for the right time to take in these things anymore. And I'm sure you can think of others. Now, following this up, a question for any of us in the room or if you're online, feel free to answer in the chat as well. Has anyone ever been looking at their phone or their computer and gone to download a, a song, a document or whatever, and just given up after like 10 seconds because this download's taking way too long? Just me? A couple I see. Perfect. It's not just me. See, so many things have been created just for speed, to help us get through our tasks faster. And in some ways, this has been incredibly beneficial. And in others, I think it has really negatively affected our lives. And it hasn't been good for our souls 
either. See, patience is, is something that the Lord values in his children. And not just having patience with people around us so that we don't snap at them or whatever. Often when we think about the word patience, we think, well, uh, I don't have patience with my kids. I don't have patience with my spouse, with other people. I lose it on drivers or, or tourists or whatever else. And yes, that is, that's part of what patience is. And it's an important part. And God speaks to that kind of patience a lot in his word. But God takes patience seriously because a, a faith that, that perseveres and lasts and gladness in God requires faith. And so as we, uh, as we look at these verses, we'll see that a, a persevering, glad-hearted faith in God requires patience. As one writer notes, here's a bit of an outline for our text for these next few verses. Uh, first, be patient, the Lord is coming. Second, be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. Third, be patient with each other. And then be patient, for God's promises are true. And finally, be patient with each other, really. So here we go. James 5, starting at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. For behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Remember who James is writing to here. He's writing to a scattered church that's been sent out all over the, the known ancient Near East. And this is a church that was being pressured and oppressed by external forces pushing on them, as well as they were in the midst of some internal conflict as well. We can see that even in these verses. Don't grumble with one another. And so these verses speak to both of those things, that, that internal pressure within the church, but also external pressure. And they say five things, as we've outlined already. The first is this, be patient, for the Lord is coming. Now, for the last 2,000 years or so, the heart of the follower of Jesus and the hope of the follower of Jesus is that, that Jesus is coming back and that all things are being made new. See, we, we believe that, that history is linear, that we're moving towards something and we're moving away from something. And that thing we're moving towards is the day when Jesus comes back and, and once for all completes the work that he started on the cross and with his resurrection. And we're focused on that. Our hope is in that. We're moving towards that. Here's how scripture paints this picture for us in Revelation 21, starting at verse 1. John, the apostle, writes to us these words. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I love how uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones paraphrases these verses in her Jesus Storybook Bible. It's one of the favorite uh, Bibles we have to read to our kids and one of our kids' favorites as well. And, And she paraphrases this section this way. She says, The king says, Look, God and his children are together again. No more running away. No more hiding. No more crying or being lonely or being afraid. No more being sick or dying because all those things are gone. Yes, they are gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I've wiped away every tear from every eye. And then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says, look, I am making everything new. This is what the Christian's hope hinges on, that he is coming that he is making and that he will make everything new. Tears, loneliness, sadness, mourning, all are going to be over forever. Now we're going to be celebrating communion a little bit later, and so if you uh, don't have the elements at home, you can jump up and run and grab them. But part of what we're celebrating with the cup is that we are now one day closer to that day when we will be face-to-face with Jesus. This is reality. This is not just something we hope for. This is our our reality. We are getting closer to that day. Now here in Canmore, a couple of weeks ago we had summer, and actually this weekend we're having summer again. But now, first thing in the morning, there's a distinct chill in the air. The other day I got up and my phone said it was only one degree outside in the morning. That next season, it's coming faster than we think. And I don't know about you, but that seems to be how time generally works. It comes faster than we think. When Naomi and I first became parents, we were told, you know what, the days are long, but the years are short, so so hang on to them. And at first, we definitely agreed with that first part. These days are long. But now, looking back, I I can't believe that we're parents of an eight-and-a-half-year-old and an almost six-year-old. The days are long. But frequently, Naomi and I look at each other and say, how do, how do we get to be here? I say, how am I, how am I already 38? How, how have we been married for 14 years? Time flies. And we're going to be at this promised day of the Lord before we know it. We're, we're flying towards this day where there will be no more tears and no more mourning and no more loss and no more sadness and no more death. Be patient. The Lord is coming. The second thing we see James teaching us, he says to to be patient for the Lord is accomplishing something in you. Look at verse 7 and then he he ties this point with our first point back together in verse 8. He points us to the farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives both the early and the late rain. So you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
Sometimes this is hard for us to see, that God is actually accomplishing something in us or through us. That's another reason why we need community around us, because sometimes it's so much easier for others to see God at work and God doing stuff in us than it is for, for me to see it happening in my own life. We are, we are traveling along this linear line towards the returning of Jesus and, and everything being made new, but right now, we are all works in progress. For some of us, maybe we're, we're just exploring faith. We're asking some big questions and not really sure if we even believe any of this. And for now, that's okay. Let me remind you that, that those questions are welcome here. We want to be a, a group of followers of Jesus, of those who are exploring faith, who, who don't shy away from big questions. And so if you are exploring faith and you're watching this either live or later on our Facebook or YouTube channels, I'm so glad you're here with us. I'm so glad that you've carved out this time to, to see what the Bible has to say. And I trust that, that the Lord will speak to you through his word. Now, others of us have felt Jesus' call in our lives and have felt us kind of pull, him to, pull us towards him and, and we've committed to following him to the best of our abilities. And so, so now, by God's grace, he is making us new as well, just like everything else. This, this process is what we call around church circles sanctification, that he is making us new more and more like Jesus. But to do this, God uses both joys and sorrows to shape us. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, you, that doesn't mean that it's only good times ahead. It, Jesus talked about this a lot as well. But as well, if we're Christians, difficulty and hardship, they're not just punishments as well. You're not being uh, punished by God because you didn't have a long enough quiet time this morning, or you didn't pray long enough, or you haven't memorized enough scripture. That's not how this works. You are fully loved and fully accepted by Christ, but that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't have work to do in you. That seems to be one of the, the lies of our culture these days, is that, that I'm, I'm good just how I am, but I don't read that in the Bible. The Lord has work to do in us. And part of the work of shaping us into the, the image of Jesus is discipline. Just like as parents, there are times when we need to discipline our kids, when our kids experience the consequences of their actions. But remember that Hebrews 12 reminds us, the Lord disciplines those he loves. See, going through difficulty going through struggles, going through trials, isn't God punishing his children. God isn't the, the God that sometimes we picture sitting up on his throne with a lightning bolt, just waiting to strike us when we mess up again. But difficulty and trials and, and these sorts of things are, are God shaping and molding his children. If you remember, James has already talked about this in his book. In fact, he addressed it right at the beginning in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He said this, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Joy when we hit trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And, and one writer I was studying from this week defines steadfastness as patience on steroids. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. These trials produce that sanctification. They, they produce that character in us. They grow something in and through us. In our difficulty, God is up to something. And going through difficulty produces fruit. So be patient. 
Because the Lord is at work in your struggle. He's at work in your joy. He's at work in your trials. He's at work in your losses. He is at work. So don't lose hope. So here we've got these two things. Be patient, the Lord is at work. And be patient, the Lord is coming. The third thing we see in this passage is to be patient with each other. Now, in an, area, in an era of COVID with all sorts of facts and opinions and rights being shouted out on social media, what an important word this is for us. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. For behold, the judge is standing at the door. Remember, James is writing to the church. And one of the things I'm so glad of is that when James wrote this in the year 40, the church read it and said, okay, we will stop grumbling amongst ourselves. Well, that's not exactly true, is it? The church has been good at grumbling amongst themselves for 2,000-some years. This, this call here, this command that James gives, this is even a bit of a step further than be patient, is it? I can, I can exude an outward patience with someone and be grumbling about them under my breath. But he says, don't grumble about one another. James' argument here ultimately is, listen, God is giving you the same grace as he's giving everyone else. And so in the same way people are getting on your nerves, trust me, you're getting on their nerves as well. Now, a little while ago, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And I don't know if you're familiar with this book or not, but, but the premise of this book, it's a, it's a fictional account of, of these two demons, one named Screwtape, who is mentoring a younger demon named Wormwood. And so Screwtape is writing letters to Wormwood, teaching him how to deceive and destroy mankind. And there's a section in chapter 2 where, where Wormwood's patient, the, the human, has become a Christian. And so Screwtape goes on to help Wormwood understand just how to deceive and destroy the joy of this Christian's conversion. Here's what he says. Again, this is it's kind of a tricky thing to wrap your head around. This is the, the not good side. This is the evil side writing about how to deceive the church. And so Screwtape writes to this young mentee of his, says, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I don't mean the church as you and I see it, spread out throughout all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, that picture is quite invisible to these humans. All your patient, all this new Christian sees, is the half-finished sham Gothic erection on the new building site. What he's saying is, listen, while the hum all the humans can see is the work in progress. They don't see the finished work. And from our perspective as humans, it might not yet look so great. It needs some work here. It's falling apart over there. Maybe, maybe your experience with other people who claim to follow Jesus is quite negative. We can look through the history of the church and see some truly horrible things that have been done in the name of Jesus. What he's saying is, listen, this new Christian is unaware. He's not able to see what we see, the church mighty as an army with banners, able to make us tremble before God's purposes and plans. Rather, he sees the half-built workings of God in the hearts of his people. And he continues, Screwtape does, here's how to get this young Christian to not walk in the joy of the Lord. He says, listen, when the patient... When this new Christian gets to his pew or his socially distanced chair, 
and looks around him, and he sees that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided, provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune, or have boots that squeak, or double chins, or odd clothes, that patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. So work hard then on the disappointment or the anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a churchman. How can you assure that a follower of Jesus will not walk in the joy of the Lord? Let them focus on the weaknesses of other people and let the grumbling begin. See, again, if we go back to this idea that, that we're on this linear line and that the last day is the one where Jesus makes everything new, where there's no more mourning, no more tears, no more death, we're all moving towards that day, but none of us are there yet. None of us is complete. Every single one of us probably from that list sings out of tune, has boots that squeak, has double chins, odd clothes, all these things that can distract one another. We're all in different stages of this process, but no matter where we are in that process, no matter where we are on that line, God's grace towards us remains extravagant throughout the process. I've borrowed this phrase from Matt Chandler a few times in this series, and I like it, so I'm going to keep using it. Jesus knew what he was buying on the cross. He knew that every single one of us would be a work in progress, but his grace towards us never runs out in the process. And so this line, that distance from now to, to the end, might seem really long for some of us. But God will never get tired of us, us failing and struggling. The steadfast love of the Lord carries on forever. It's so strong that even in a lifetime of, of struggling and failing and repenting and trying again, he will never give up on us. Jesus knew what he was getting on the cross. And so James's argument here is effectively, listen, I would be really careful about grumbling about someone else because the judge, the only one who has the right to judge, the Lord, is standing in the doorway watching. It's coming soon. And so we need to remember that the, the mercy and the grace that's given to each one of us is what we need to extend to others as well, that same mercy and grace. So be patient with people. They are works in progress. Fourth, James says to be patient for God's promises are true. And this is just another rich point that James makes. Look at verse 10 and then to verse 11 as well. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We can go back and read the stories of the prophets who were those who, who stood up and declared the word of the Lord in times when it was not easy to do so. And if we read the stories, the, the histories, the biographies of those prophets, it didn't go well for any of them. It didn't end well for any of them. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, James continues. And you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's fascinating that, that James goes back to the book of Job in the Old Testament here. And remember, James is trying to encourage people, yet Job is not necessarily, for most of it, a very encouraging book. Now, the original hearers would have been familiar with the book of Job and Job's story, and Job as this righteous and upright follower of God, and then they'd be familiar with uh, nearly 42 chapters where it's not clear what God is up to. 
And then at the very end, it's made clear. They would have known how, how when they couldn't see the whole story, that, that God was still with Job in his brokenness. He was still with Job when he had lost everything, when his health was failing, and when his wife even says to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Just curse God and die, you fool. But they would know how God healed Job and restored Job. And when we read the story, we see the compassion and love of God made visible in those difficult days. And so James is, is telling his original hearers and us today to look back on the centuries and millennia of God's faithfulness to the prophets and to Job, the one that suffered more than any of us. When he says, consider Job, he points to Job as, as a picture of God's mercy and compassion. And he says, listen, hang on, because God's promises are true. Augustine once said that, that our, our lives are like having our faces scrunched up against the stained glass window. Now, if you've ever seen a stained glass window, I assume you have. Imagine what it would look like if you're only a couple inches away from it. You might see a couple blurry, small pieces of glass that look like they're broken and disarrayed. But as you start to step back and back and back from the glass and you see the whole window, they can be incredible works of art. And so Augustine is saying that we, because we're finite and not infinite, we see the world like our faces are up against that glass. And yet God, being eternal, sees how all those jagged pieces fit together and make something beautiful. So hang in there. Be patient. God's promises are true. Another example we could go back to uh, in this would be Joseph in the book of Genesis. Really quick here, here was a guy who was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was then wrongly taken to Egypt, wrongly accused, and thrown into an Egyptian prison. And then from a prison cell, God working with him, he worked his way up to second in command only to Pharaoh in the entire Egyptian empire. And then there was a famine in the land, and Israel had a stockpile of supplies. And so those brothers that sold him into slavery wind up in front of him in Egypt, begging for help, as that famine was so great in Israel, they were on death's door, and the person who would seal their fate or help them out is Joseph. And look what Joseph says. As for you, this is Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Be patient. God's promises are true. Now, the, again, the Bible doesn't promise a life of ease or a life without tears, but the Bible promises that God's promises are true. He is with you and he is for you. Finally, James wraps up this section in verse 12, again, with the idea of being patient with each other. He says this, But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but just let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now when James is talking about swearing an oath here, he's talking about using God's name to add weight to your yes or your no. And in the Old Testament, if we look at the, the laws in Leviticus, there, there was a provision. There was a necessity for oaths uh, and instructions for what happens if you break those oaths. But James is saying, listen, we don't, we don't live under that law anymore. We live under a law of liberty and love, and we talked about that back in chapter 1. 
See, what God has done through Christ is, is create a community that lives by this law of liberty, this law of love. And so we don't need to swear any oaths to one another. We just need to be honest with one another. Listen, I'll, I'll help you if I can. If I can say yes, I will say yes. And if I can't help you, I'm not going to make excuses. I'm just going to tell you that, and I'm going to try and help you find help somewhere else. Be patient with one another. This verse kind of wraps up uh, James's teaching on the tongue, which has been going on for a couple chapters now. And he said a bunch of things, and he concludes pretty much this way. Listen, just be trustworthy with your speech. Now, I'm not sure where you're at right now. For some of us, we're right in the middle of a fight. It, it's an, it's an all-out struggle, and we're not sure if our faith is going to hold through this. For others, maybe we're just glad to be in the same room with some other people. And in a few hours, you may not remember anything that I've said this morning. But here's, here's a call for each one of us, wherever we are on that spectrum, somewhere in between perhaps too. The first, again, be patient, for the Lord is going to come. Be patient, because God is accomplishing something. Be, be patient with one another. Don't miss out on God's joy in your life because you're grumbling about one another. Be patient. God's promises are true. And be patient. God is creating a community of faith that, that doesn't just live in that last day, but we are all in process together right now. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for these words and for this encouragement. I, I thank you that you are with us. I thank you that you are for us. And I pray that you would encourage our hearts. Maybe today, as we've been walking through this text, God has made it clear to you that, that this struggle, the things of this life, uh, are meant to draw you to him. That you need that perfect patience from him. And, and he wants what's best for you, and he is for you, and he loves you. That the struggle sometimes is like a per, the perfect parent saying, listen, no, you need to go through this thing because it will shape you, it will mold you. That he's not holding out on you. Maybe today is the day where, where you stop trying to figure all these things out on your own, but you start trusting God to lead you his way. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out, but today might be the day where you want to commit to following Jesus, to be patient and follow him, to be patient and trust that he's accomplishing something in you, to be patient and stop grumbling and put your hope in his promises. Maybe today is the day that you want to commit to following Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God, the one who was perfect in every way, who walked this world to show us how to have a right relationship with God and creation and one another. He was perfectly obedient to God in every way, even to the point of death on the cross in our place, as the once-for-all perfect sacrifice. But he rose from the dead three days later, conquering Satan, sin, and death. And he did that so that anyone who calls on his name would be saved, forgiven, being, start that process of sanctification and be transformed into something new. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how dark your life feels right now. When you call on Jesus' name, he hears you. He hears that prayer and he forgives you and he makes you new. If today is your day to commit to Jesus and you're on our church online page, you can hit that little raise hand button. We'd love to reach out and, and celebrate with you. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube later, you can jump onto our website, trinitycanmore.com slash commit, and we want to celebrate and connect with you. If that's a decision you've made today, maybe for the first time, maybe a recommitment for the second, tenth, hundredth time, let's all pray this together. Heavenly Father, forgive me my sins. Change me. 
and make me new. Help me to follow you. Jesus, be my Savior. Give me your patience. Be the Lord of my life and fill me with your spirit so that I can serve you and I can follow you and I can make you known. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. And now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Listen, I know I get to see the stats after the services that we learn this online analytic stuff. And I know that today was somebody's day to pray that for the first time somewhere. So there's only a few of us in the room here, but let's celebrate that. Let's give God a hand for what he's up to. I want to, you know, celebrate with God. We want to give, again, God a hand for all the things he's up to. We want to wrap up this time uh, with me in the front, I guess, celebrating communion together. I alluded to that earlier. So if you need to run, grab the elements, now is, now is a great time. And what we want to do is just remind ourselves that, that we have committed our lives to Jesus, that we have submitted to his rule and reign and given him our allegiance. And so this, this act, this communion, is, is something that we who are followers of Jesus already do. If you're not there yet, you can just mute or just watch and, and, and quietly uh, listen to what's happening here. Uh, Paul teaches us about communion this way in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so in just a minute, I'm going to socially distance past elements around the room here. Uh, we've One of the beautiful things about having these online services is we now have a collection of, of extra videos to run as well. And so... Uh, Arnie doesn't know this, I don't think, he's in the room, but he's going to be uh, leading us through a song, uh, reminding us of the voice of truth uh, that tells us the different story. And so uh, as I pass here, we're going to go to that, that clip. But let me, let me pray for the bread and the cup. Jesus, thank you again that you came, that you walked this earth to show us what it was like to be a follower of the Lord. Thank you that you showed us how to rightly relate to God and others and creation. And so as we take this cup and this bread that, that symbolize your body broken for us and your, your blood shed for us, we do so and, and we say thank you. As, as maybe not enough as that thank you sounds, but we say thank you. We cling to who you are. We want to trust in you and we want to follow you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's run that video as we head to communion.
for a giant We're just a sling and a stone Surrounded by a sound of a thousand warriors Shaking in their armor Wishing they have had the strength to stand But the giants go for doing that for us. Uh, let us take and eat uh, and drink together as we uh, ponder that, as we consider all that Jesus has done for us. Uh, and then uh, Bev and team are going to lead us in a closing song. So let's eat and drink together.